Yo, 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 yo. You're listening to the Educated Food Podcast with the Educated Food, Dr. Jeffrey Alexander Jr. I want to talk to y'all about the episode this week. It took two tries because I'm an idiot, but we finally got it in. This week, I sat with my girl, Dr. Yu, to talk about, you know, taking care of yourself, putting yourself first. Self-care is like a hot topic right now, but very few people do it. So I wanted to sit down with somebody that I've watched go through their journey and who's actually practicing self-care and love. So sit back, relax. Hope you enjoy the convo. Hey, Dr. Yu, what's up? Hey, how's it going? I mean, it's, it's going well. It's going well. You know, Sunday, fun day, right before mm. getting right back to work. Um, and, you know, daylight saving time's kind of through some people off the deck so everybody <laughs> i mean i read up on it. it was like oh yeah it's happening this weekend but it doesn't hit you until you actually wake up and be like damn what time is it yeah so um what you been up to as of late you know i'm in hawaii right now so we don't even have daylight savings so i was all the way thrown off <laughs> trying to wake up and hop into a webinar you know just get my day started i'm like wait i just missed this whole thing but you know, the weather is nice here. I'm After this, I'm going to go to the beach and just chill. I'm kind of leaning into this whole slow down and rest and just take your time doing stuff because in the day-to-day, it's always like go, go, go. And so there's a lot of unlearning that I have to do to just take my time and enjoy what I have right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm jealous you're in Hawaii right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, that was our summer vacay plans, and then, of course, COVID hit, and then we were mm-hmm. like, what island you on right now? Oahu, and I'm in Honolulu. Mm. Yeah, I've I've been to Hawaii once, and I was it was Honolulu, and I was, mm-hmm. I would say I was like 13 years old, so I didn't really okay. experience Hawaii. I was 13. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, I always mm-hmm. wanted to go back, and then, you know, COVID happened. Right. I'm out here, so when y'all trying to come, you know, just hit me up. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, we're trying to take advantage of all the, the free flights we get with our little girls, so. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, let's, let's introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, tell the people a little bit about yourself. So my name is... Dr. Unique Shaw Smith. I like to go by Dr. U because I have this hyphenated last name. You know, people get confused. They'd be like, Dr. Shaw, Dr. Shaw Smith, or Dr. Smith. I'm like, just go with Dr. U. You know, I'm like young. I think I'm cool. (laughs) So it just keeps it like relevant and the students could appreciate that. And, you know, when you hear Dr. U, you don't know if it's a woman, if it's a man. And then here I come as a whole ass black woman. Like, yep, here I am. But... You know, I have a background in sociology and criminology and kind of going into the field, I always knew I wanted to stay in school. Early on, I just loved learning. And when they told me, you know, you could be get your PhD and teach and get summers off, I was sold. Um, but now it's interesting because I'm not teaching full time anymore. And I think a lot of what I have been doing has been wrapped up in my teaching identity that now I'm trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing? You know, who am I now that I'm not teaching in that way anymore? And it's been a lot of reflection and, and trying to understand that I am not a professor you know that's not the totality of who I am and I'm so much more than that and not trying to kind of fit into this one category when I'm introducing myself so getting comfortable with the uncomfortable because I have put in so much work to kind of achieve that status and now that I'm outside of that it's you know it's interesting no, it, it definitely is. I mean, it becomes part of like your identity, um, yeah. especially when you you go for you know your doctorate and you're researched on it. Um, it's a passion for, of yours, and you work so hard to to be great at it. Um, it it definitely becomes part of your identity. I, I, I suffer that too. Like I'm not always you know this administrator. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, Jeffrey is someone else, and and trying to intertwine those two um, and keep those two um, separate is something that you know I've always been working diligently at over the last couple of years 
Um, it's like there's Jeffrey the administrator, but then there, there's a Jeffrey from Compton. So like, mm-hmm. they're two different people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they blend and they merge, and you know. But depends on what you're yeah. saying to me. They might blend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Y'all forgot uh, I was here because I'm here. Yeah. Like, you know. Wait, hold a minute. Let me let me unbutton this tie real quick. <laughs> loosen it up. Let me let me talk to you real. Like, yeah. Take that um, deep breath. Like. Right. <sighs> okay. Yeah. You also said something that was interesting. So I never even thought about, you know, you going by Dr. U because of the hyphenations, right? Because, like, that just, that's easy to me to understand. Um, mm-hmm. I th- like, for me, when when someone does want to call me doctor, I'll I be like, just call me Dr. J or Doc. Like, don't go mm-hmm. the full Alexander route. It just seems, it just makes you seem like I feel old when you do that. Like, I'm not, yeah. like, I'm still in my 30s. I'm not, I'm not there yet. So, yeah. Um, so it's just interesting how, you know, we, we kind of come up with our nicknames in the doctor world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you find that balance because, yeah, you do want people to put some respect on your name because mm-hmm. I didn't work this hard just to be called by my first name for, by some mm-hmm. students. But at the same time, you don't want to be separating yourselves from the students in a way that they feel like they can't relate to you. So yeah. there's a middle ground with having, you know, Dr. U or Dr. J or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's definitely dependent on the student and the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're gonna just if you can just call me Jeff, like you don't even have to th- call me Doctor, right? Yeah. Um, so you talked. Uh, uh, I was actually always interested in kind of your research and and going into like criminology and criminal justice. What uh, what kind of sparked that interest for you to go that route? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm from Oakland, California, and I grew up in the East Side, kind of like during the height of the crack epidemic. You know. A lot of my family had been in and out of jail and prison. My neighborhood was heavily policed. You know, I seen a lot of violence, drug dealers. But even though a lot of that stuff was going on in my neighborhood, I always felt safe. You know, like I knew the I knew the people who was on the block. They knew me. We walked. I started walking to school when I was in kindergarten and it was just kind of like, yeah, these things were going on. But we also knew each other and they weren't going to do anything to harm us. And I knew them as people. And I think as an early age, I developed this observation um, and a lens through which I got to see my community because I knew them as people, but I also seen how outsiders would view them or view us and how police would come in and just do the most, you know? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try to understand that part because I'm experiencing it one way, I'm seeing it happen um, through interaction with police a different way, and I know that there's gotta be something to explain this. So when I went to college, I studied criminal justice, but criminal justice, it just tells you about how the system works and the people who are in the system and what they do and all that. And that didn't really help me understand what I wanted to understand. And I think at the time I couldn't really articulate it. I was just like, I just want to understand why, like, why is this happening? You know, and what can we do to try to shift it? And then when I was a junior, I took a criminology class and criminology is all about why it's theory, it's theoretical, understanding why we define something as being a crime, you know, and who do we define as being criminal and why do we respond the way we do when certain people commit crimes versus other people. And I just fell in love, you know, with the subject. And for me as a junior, I knew that I needed to graduate, so I was not about to change my major. I'll I'll go ahead and pick up this minor, but y'all not about to have me do all this stuff over because I was paying attention. People changing their majors, being in school for six years, like, bruh, I love this school, but it took me a long time to get used to going to a predominantly white school, coming from an area that was way more diverse, and I knew I had to get up out of there. So Uh during that process, I had decided that I was going to pursue graduate school and I knew that I could study sociology and criminology in graduate school. So I just stuck with the criminal justice, which, you know, has benefited me because I'm able to know and learn about the system and then understand like the people side of it, why we're really out here treating each other that way. And I love it. You know, I get to talk to students about race, ethnicity, criminal justice, how those things intertwine, because you really can't talk about criminal justice and crime without talking about race and ethnicity because of how our system is built up. It's built 
<laughs> it's structured within the hierarchy of race and ethnicity. And um, so really that passion was developed in me at an early age because I loved my family and I was able to see a side of them that the system didn't see. And I wanted to try to, you know, bring light to that. So in all of the work that I've done in projects with my students, it's always humanizing people who are incarcerated. How can we see them for who they are beyond this label that we have applied to them, beyond what they may have done? Because at the end of the day, we all out here violating laws and norms, you know? Ain't none of us perfect. And so what gets under my skin is when people talk about a law-abiding citizen. Like, where are they at? Because <laughs> I ain't never met one. Every day on the freeway, somebody breaking the law. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. So. No, you good. Um, no, it's interesting because that's kind of like what I did. My, my dissertation was something similar. It didn't, it didn't look at incarcerated uh, population, but what it did look at, because as you said, right, you grew up in Oakland. I grew up in South Central LA, Compton, and I grew up around just a whole bunch of gang, gang, gang activity, right? Yeah. Gang infested neighborhood. But they are the ones who really pushed me to go to school. They pushed me mm -hmm. to go to college and like people don't see that, right? So I, I, my research was looking at uh, students who grew up in these environments, like what messages were they given about going to college? What assistance did mm. their gang neighborhood or the people that were affiliated in gangs, what assistance did they provide to help them get to college? So I can get, so, because that's what it was for me. And I want to be able to explain that to, to the masses. Like you see, when you hear gangs, you think of all this criminal activity, but you, for, you don't really understand the, the family environment that that actually creates, the security that that creates in your neighborhood and how much they take care of you. Yeah. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to like explain that so people can see like, it ain't what you see on, you know, 10 o'clock news or in the movies. Like that's not what exactly. it's about. That's yeah. not what it's about at all. Um, it's completely different when you're actually living in that environment and you're, and you're born in that environment. So. Um, I think that's why your research also intrigued me as well, because it is just looking at the, the human component of the things like why, why, why people do what they do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to challenge that narrative because a lot of people who don't grow up in the ways that we have grown up, they get their information from the media and the media mm -hmm. is really out here not painting an accurate picture. So it's it's important for them to be able to have exposure to these ideas and know that, yeah, they're gangs but it's not the only thing that the most prevalent thing you know mm -hmm. uh <laughs> restate that that's that last sentence it kind of broke up the idea that people associate gangs with just criminal activity and yeah while it does occur within gangs it's not the most prominent or like prevalent thing within gangs there's a lot mm -hmm. more to it and i'm not out here pushing gangs but <laughs> at the same time i think that we also need to become more aware of how things function you know mm -hmm. and even just if people took the time to go and research the origin of gangs and why they emerged in the united states it was because of marginalization you know and this whole like wanting people to assimilate but also socially outcasting them to where they felt like they didn't have a place to belong and when you push someone to the margins of society what do you think they're going to do they're going to try to survive and they're going to preserve themselves and get with other people who have similar mindsets and that's pretty much how we get a lot of the gangs in the united states besides yeah. you know like like white supremacy and all those things <laughs> a little different but yeah, yeah. i mean I, I think that was the hardest part with, with some on my committee like they were looking for this overt signs of violence in these communities that these students will speak about and it was like yeah. that's not necessarily what it's all about all the time it mm -hmm. isn't you know it, it isn't a movie Right. Yeah. Um, it, is, it isn't waist deep. Like that, no one is just running around <laughs> seeing the neighborhoods like that. That's not how it is. Yeah. Um, I always try to tell people like the best movie to to show like L.A. culture to me has always been Friday. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Even more so than Boys in the Hood. More so than uh, Menace to Society. Because Friday every day that's literally it's every a day, day in the life. So, mm -hmm. And you just happen to get caught up in something one day. Right. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. That is just random and weird. So. Um, so yeah, that's. That's dope, and I'm glad you sh you shared that because I was really, like I said, I was just always interested in that, and it's something that I'm also passionate about as well. Mm -hmm. 
particularly around around gang members, just because that's just what my family <laughs> life was right. growing up around it. Like that's all I know, and I yeah. had to get out. But I wanted people to understand um, understand them a little bit, and also understand the students that come from that environment. As yeah. a, as an administrator, we have to be able to support these students and understand that their environment is different. Like how they yeah. think is completely different. But also not to let that single narrative we have in our head shape how we approach them and interact Correct. with them. Correct, right. Um, and for me, it's like when I do, cause I go into the prisons a lot and I do program when, you know, and I go and I just chop it up with the people. It feels like home to me. And it's crazy for some people to understand that, but I'm like, this is literally my community. All you have done is taken them out of my community and put them in this institution. So that doesn't mean that when I come here, I'm gonna feel uncomfortable. No, because these are the same people that I would have been interacting with if I was at home. Yeah, I think about the first time I went into the men's colony for, for Cuesta. Um, yeah. It was the culinary graduation, right? And just like the conversations I was having, how comfortable I was, you know, with the men in there and administrators like, you just seem comfortable with this. Like this is, mm-hmm. th- all y'all see is the bars and the people that are inside them as yeah. criminal like these are these are my people mm-hmm. like i actually have a better conversation with them c- than i can with you <laughs> yeah. we connect on a different level like exactly. it's different like it's actually easier for me to conversate with them than it is to talk to you know my president like it's just yeah. easier because they so. get me yeah, it's the same thing when I would go in there. But I think for them, it was even more alarming because as a woman, I go in there and I'm just hella comfortable. I'm not, you know, I abide, I abide by the rules that they set up. But I did have a few people pull me aside like, you know, <laughs> you seem kind of comfortable. and We just want to make sure that you're not going to be manipulated or anything. And I'm like, first of all, I know how to handle my own. And I'm not naive at the same uh-huh. time. You know, I understand where I'm at. But I'm also not going to come in here and treat people a certain way because that's not how I build rapport. You know, if I want to be able to work with these guys and provide them with resources and do what I can to help. So that way, when they come back in the community, you know, they have some some level of support and know that people are really out here trying to make that happen for them. I need to approach them like I approach everybody else. But also that that level of familiarity and and home is there, which helps. So. Um, let's let's get to why I actually have you on today because you know um, I've been watching your 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 journey um, as you mentioned you're in Hawaii right now so I've been watching you um, putting yourself first in, in a lot of different areas and um, I admire that and that's something that I firmly believe in so I wanted to bring you on today so we can have that discussion um, so can you tell me when was the first moment or when was that moment you decided to start taking care of yourself So I remember in 2018, there was a trip that I had planned for my birthday and the person I was supposed to be traveling with decided that they weren't going anymore. We were going to Mexico and I still planned to go forward to go. And a part of me was like, well, it's convenient. You know, I live close enough to Mexico. I could just drive down. And I had this realization one day, like, Unique, you are only doing this because it's convenient and because it's easy, but this is not really what you want to do. And I've always wanted to travel to Cuba. And I think at that moment, I said, stop doing stuff that's easy or that other people expect you to do and start doing more of what you want. So three days away from my birthday, I booked this trip to Cuba and I went by myself. And it was the first time I really allowed myself the space to follow what I wanted. You know, I let myself lead me. And that was a turning point for me. And I think it was exactly what I needed at that moment in my life because I came back into the academic year at Cal Poly that, and all of the reasons why I left Cal Poly um, in terms of being fearful about my son's experiences in the schools, you know, him being the only black boy. That year, all of those things started to manifest. And he got pushed out of two different schools. I was constantly meeting with teachers and talking about his experiences and they were just telling me, well, he's so much bigger than the other kids. He's bigger and stronger. He's a threat. He's this, he's that, he's uncontrollable. And I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this because like I said, he's the only black boy in the school, let alone in the community and really wanting to stand up for us 
but also do so in a way that I can educate the educators who should have known about their own biases. And the amount of stress that I was under started manifesting in my body. And so when I tell you that that trip to Cuba was like eye opening for me and doing what I want, after that year, I knew that I couldn't return to Cal Poly because of the impact that it was having on my mental well-being. And so I decided to resign. And it was partially like entirely because that's not what I wanted anymore. And my body was telling me, like, this is not healthy for you to continue to subject yourself and your son to this amount of discrimination. And so I decided to leave And I think that that's so powerful because I didn't have a backup plan. You know, I didn't have another job lined up, but I had to trust myself to know that in letting this go, other things that are meant for me are going to come, you know, but I need to allow the space for that to occur in my own life. And so I would say that that whole year, 2018 going into 2019, I just shifted. And that was really powerful because I think for so much of my life I've done things because someone said I couldn't do them or that I wasn't expected to do them as a black woman or I'm trying to attain and show people like yeah I can compete in these ways too like don't count me out but a lot of that is motivated um, by the wrong reasons and now I'm starting to kind of get to the root of that and really figure out who I am What do I want? What are the things that bring me pleasure? But it was in allowing myself to make that small change in the decision on what I'm going to do for my birthday. And who knew, you know, four years later that that would be so monumental in my life and my journey. But it was. Nah, that's that's dope. And it's definitely, you know, freeing when you when you make a decision for yourself. Right. And for the well-being of your health, your mental and and for your family. Um, I did that in North Carolina when, you know, I was waking up and miserable with the job that I was at. And, you know, they and when you're in housing, they they typically try to ask around recruitment season if you're coming back. And I was like, nah, I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like they're like, oh, you got to Are you job searching? Not yet, but. I know I won't be coming back here with or without a job. Like I'd rather go live at home with my mom again than wake up every day and, and dread having to come to work. So, exactly. and it was freeing. Like as soon as I said that, work actually got better because I was like, I really don't care what y'all doing anymore because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to be here. Um, and yeah, and you know, the trip that you took by yourself, I, I think that's dope. I think more people should start doing things on their own i remember when i first started going to the movies by myself people used to think that was weird but i was like yo it's actually really enjoyable um just being being able to you know be by yourself um so that's dope and you know i commend you on on taking that step because it's scary especially when you don't have nothing lined up you know i mean it's it's scary to take that step Mm -hmm. it's definitely a leap of faith but i would say that we have to learn to be comfortable with ourselves if we're not comfortable with ourselves then how are we ever really going to be present and comfortable with other people because like we can only meet and show up for other people as deeply as we have met ourselves and that's one of the things that i have had the pleasure of learning over these past few years is like yo i'm dope as fuck and I love myself and when I realize that then I allow myself to be authentically me around other people and I'm not like a shapeshifter anymore you know I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to shrink myself to make people feel comfortable I'm not trying to change to fit in it's like no this is me and this is who I am and this is what you're gonna get when you when you you know (laughs) when I show up and I will say that when I took the job at Cal Poly and I came and that's always been my approach as an educator. That's the first thing I talk about in all of my classes on first day. I introduce myself. I tell them where I'm from. I am tell them that I'm black and I'm proud to be black. And part of black culture is Ebonics. And I'm going to be in here and I'm going to educate you guys. But I'm going to do it in a way that makes me feel comfortable. And if I ever say anything that you don't understand, ask a question. But at the end of the day, like this is me and my authentic self and and I'm able to be a better teacher when I'm not trying to stand up here and act like proper English is something that's so important to me, you know? Um, and it allows students to feel comfortable and to see me as a person because I think oftentimes there is this stage on the stage mentality and students become intimidated and they don't want to ask you about content related questions. But when I break down that barrier and I'm like, yo, like I'm just like y'all and I've been in your shoes. And while I have attained these things, like I'm still a real ass person over here. So, um, but being comfortable enough to know that about yourself, because 
it's so important. Yeah, I, people always ask me like, how, how do I build relationships with students in the way that I do? And it's like, because I'm just myself, right? I talk like I'm still in LA and Compton. Like I, I don't, just because I might have this doctorate degree, I don't use the language that I use in my dissertation when I'm talking to students. Like I, I had to do that for academia. I wish I could have wrote an Ebonics. It would have made a paper way easier to write actually. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but I couldn't, right? And I think that connectivity with students is so is so dope when you can be your authentic self. And unfortunately, not too many places in higher ed allow people to be their authentic selves. Um, but let's get back into some self-care. Um, if you were to explain, you know, what self-care or self-love is to someone, what would that definition be for you? Because it's a, different for everybody, you know? Yeah. And self-care is definitely becoming a trendy word, you know, and something that everybody is starting to kind of embrace or maybe just showcase. I don't know. It looks different for everyone. But for me, when I think about what it means, it's really tuning into and listening to myself and my body and my mind and my spirit because your your body like your mind your body and spirit they're going to tell you what you need you know that's why sometimes you can walk into a room and you're just like I don't think I'm supposed to be here or something in this room is off you know and that's your intuition telling you something when we ignore those things over time it's going to stop talking to us and I think a lot of us have tuned it out so much that we don't even know what we need anymore so self-care has been undoing all these layers the silencing the marginalization that i've done to myself too and starting to sit down and listen and be mindful like how does this feel in my body does this make me feel good does this bring me pleasure because like I said earlier, when I was under a lot of stress, like I started feeling that in my body. I was having dizzy spells. I was having headaches. Like I would be teaching and I'd be like, yo, I need to sit down for a second. And that was my body telling me that something ain't right, you know, and you need to make some changes. So self-care is taking the time to listen to myself and trust that my body, my mind and my spirit is not going to lead me in the wrong direction. It's always going to take care of itself. And if I'm willing and open to follow that, then I'm going to go exactly where I need to be. Now, I think listening to what your body is telling you is something that often goes unnoticed in a lot of people. And unfortunately, people don't pay attention to what their body is telling them until they're forced to. Right. Until that stress overcomes. And now you have like hypertension and you're in a hospital because you're because you stress yourself out so much and you ignored mm -hmm. your body so um i think that is a a great component to self-care because for me it was always just like yo just do whatever makes you feel happy that was kind of how i took approach to it but then i also did have to start taking steps back to realize what wasn't making me happy as well because i was ignoring those things and trying to do things that made me happy to you know hide when i was unhappy which is unhealthy mm-hmm yeah. And with that, I would say sometimes we want something so bad, whether it's a person or love or we want to achieve something so bad that we ignore those signs and symptoms or those red flags that pop up just to try to get that. And then it ends up backfiring later because it's like, I told you that this wasn't going to work out. I told, you know, I'm trying to give you a way to slow down and go a different direction. So another component of that is just being honest with yourself so if you feel that rising up being honest like even though I may not understand what it means in that moment just kind of trusting that it's there and moving in a way that I'm gonna allow it space to manifest or to change you know but again we're we're so consumed by society and what other people see and how other people perceive us that it makes us change. And for me, when I think about self-care, it's just trying to preserve who I am and allowing myself to thrive because for so long I've been in survival mode. I don't wanna be like that. I don't wanna just survive every day. I really wanna thrive. I have so much to give to the world and I can only do that when I'm watering myself, when I'm taking care, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that like is a perfect segue to one of the questions I wanted to ask, right? Because 
a life tries to sabotage you know you taking care of yourself right and, and self-care like what are what are some things that help you keep you know your thinking of yourself first like putting yourself in the forefront when life throws all these crazy ass curveballs at us mm-hmm. one of the things I have always done even before I, I said I or before I could say I started intentionally with self-care is movement. I've always been physically active and I've done that not to be like, oh, I look good, you know, but to feel good. When I work out, you know, I sleep better. I wake up more energized. Um, my body just feels lighter, you know, especially when I'm eating good too. So movement for me has always been a saving grace, no matter if it's just getting up and walking. I'm a part of this organization called Girl Trek that has helped me so much and it's all about taking care of black women you know because black women give so much to the world that organization is like yo we also need to be intentional about taking care of ourselves so movement is always a priority for me and then also just taking the time to slow down to be one with myself I've started meditating um last year I got credentialed to teach yoga and I haven't started teaching publicly yet because for me yoga is still a very private practice and I'm I'm heading in that direction but I don't want to take something that's sacred to me that has helped me so much on my own journey and turn it into something profane so I'm just taking the time that I need to be comfortable in my practice before I open it up and share with the world but again yoga there's movement in yoga but a lot of yoga is about controlling your mind you know being okay in the stillness and finding yourself in that stillness, connecting those different elements of yourself, you know, the mind to the body, to the spirit. It's all a practice of alignment. And that is another way that I'm able to just sit there and allow myself to expand because we are limitless people, but the way we operate in society is very limited how we define and understand things is often through categories and being able to sit in the darkness of myself I'm able to kind of transcend those boundaries and it's a practice because every time I go out in the world the world has something to say to me you know something to try to press upon me and taking that time you know even if it's not every day but taking that time with myself to be with myself helps me to stay grounded so that I'm not out just being blown by the wind every time a storm comes in my life. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about COVID, I would say, personally, and I know people have struggled with this, and also because it's been going on for a very long time at this point, but COVID really faced, or forced us to confront ourselves and to sit with ourselves. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of people, but also they're realizing like, I don't like myself or there's some things I need to work on. And at the end of it, we're going to come out of it. And I would hope that a lot of us are going to be better people because of it, because we've had to sit there and be honest with ourselves and do the work necessary to make those changes in our lives. But when COVID started, I pretty much at the same time, I started a garden with my son. And that was so symbolic because you plant these seeds in the ground and you water them. And, you know, they're going to do what they need to do to kind of bloom. But the key about it is leaving them alone. You know, we're not digging up the seeds every day trying to figure out what's going on underneath the soil. It's like, nah, bro, just give me the water and I'm going to do my thing. And so in the darkness, in that stillness is where that transformation happens. So there's a couple things there. One, I want to I want to vouch for your movement and that's centering you and you you love movement because it was your birthday right you was supposed to walk this crazy amount of miles and then you got yes. hurt and still was walking i'm like yo she way better than me i would have gave up oh yes i was trying i tried to keep going because my goal was to do 33 miles i turned 33 this year and i was too ambitious i hadn't been walking or running that you know for that amount of distance and i got out there i was feeling good i was excited i was like i could run this whole thing so i'm walk run walk run and i must have been running for too long and pulled something in my like hip but i was like no nah, i'm gonna do it 
But then I was thinking people were walking with me in solidarity and I was like, I should be able to count those miles towards my 33 and be okay with it, you know? And that is another thing. It's like knowing when to stop is also Mm -hmm. self-care and knowing when to surrender to the process if it's going to cause you more harm. And so I threw in the towel, but I was okay with it because I showed up and I did what I was supposed to do and it felt really good. Yeah, and I mean, you threw in the towel later than I would have because as soon as I would have felt something, I'm like, well... God know my heart. <laughs> he know what I wanted to do. Right. Bless his <laughs> let heart. Me, uh, yep. Let me go home and take a nap. I'm messed up. Um, and then and planting seeds. I think a lot of people started, you know, trying to, you know, grow, make a little garden, right? Because it was like the thing to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, the patience in gardening is super key because when we started, we were getting so frustrated. One, I was like, I don't know why I started with seeds. I just should have bought the plants already. Yeah, and just that's what they those. say. <laughs> because some of those things, like we were out there constantly and like nothing was happening. And then when we mm-hmm. finally was like, yo, let's just give us a time, right? Leave them alone. Let's stop checking every day. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. water if we need. And then it start, you know, magically start blooming. And we're like, yo, this is working. And mm-hmm. that really taught us like, yo, we need to be patient sometimes. Things will, ha- it always can happen on your time right yeah they're gonna grow when they're ready to sprout and grow Um, just nurture it and give it some time and I think that was a huge lesson that we took away from our adventure in gardening Um, so definitely I definitely agree with that Um, so you talked about you know movement and yoga is there anything else you do for self-care yeah so I also spend a lot of time learning from the greats, I guess. Um, And not everything is going to serve me. And I think that there's a lot of books out there and you just got to find the information that is relevant to you. And it may not be a book, you know, it may be a podcast, it may be a movie, maybe a show, a documentary. I think that um, as a lifelong self learner, it's always important for me to be nourishing my spirit and feeding myself with things that are helping me because I don't know it all, you know, and I might find something that really resonates and helps me get through that week. Um, So just kind of being open to learning from everything that is around me and using that to help me just grow. Um, So that's my self-care. It's all about movement. It's, you know, about being in tune with myself and then using um kind of nourishing my body like through or my mind and my knowledge through kind of taking in that information those are the key things being um to to help me get to where I want to be right now and it may look different you know and it may change and you and that's okay like sometimes self-care ain't movement for me sometimes self-care is rest and being still (laughs) in my bed you know can I tell you that I slept for 14 hours yesterday no never happens never (laughs) Literally, if I ever sleep for more than eight hours, I wake up with a headache. I legit fell asleep at 5.30 last night, and I didn't wake up until almost 7.30. And I was like, what? Where do they do that at? That sounds amazing. (laughs) I I go to sleep religiously like 10.30, maybe 11 on a good night, and I'm up at like 5.36 religiously Mm -hmm. every day. Um, And even if I go to sleep super late, I'm still going to wake up at 5 or 6. Like, I can't sleep in. I know. That's one thing I don't like. It's that internal clock. I don't like it. Um, That's why I don't go out no more for anybody who invites me out. I'm like, no, because I'm going to wake up at five o'clock and be tired. Mm -hmm. Um, What advice would you give someone? uh, What advice would you give someone um, on if they're thinking of, you know, making that change and starting to care for themselves a little bit more? How would you get someone started on their path? I think the key thing, and this may be simple or it may be very hard for some people. I know it took time for me, but it was being honest with myself about where I was in my life, about the things that I wanted in my life, how I can make them manifest in my life, you know, and being honest about what I already had and whether it was serving me or not. Because you can have things in your life that serve a purpose and it may not be a permanent thing and knowing when to let go. And those were very difficult decisions for me to make, but I had to come to the understanding um, that there was a lot in my life that wasn't serving me, that I had been holding on to because I felt like they were good things. And they are, you know, and they still are, but they were, they were no longer good for me. And 
So being honest with myself and trying to stop lying and like, oh, no, you know, I'll, I'll feel differently or this is going to work out in the long run. I just had to stop and say, you know what, Unique, like you learned as much as you can learn from this situation or from this event. Um, you've done your best and now it's time to just let it go, you know. So that would be my advice for anyone who's looking to start on this path of self-care because we can't ever really achieve our highest self if we're not honest about where we are. Yeah, and that's definitely the hardest part, right? Um, Because I know I struggle with that and particularly to like me being healthy and losing weight. Um, I've been doing much better this year because I finally had a real conversation with myself and was like, yo, you're not you're not healthy or you're not you're not where you think you are. Right. You can go out and play basketball Mm -hmm. for an hour and you are cool. You're not dying. But that doesn't mean that you're healthy. You know, that doesn't mean that you're in shape. That just means that your body has some muscle memory that it taps into in survival mode. So you don't pass out out here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So it was like for me to really sit back and take a look and, and really change, you know, change the way I eat. Um, working out every day now, which is starting to become such a routine where I feel bad when I don't work out. Um, but it, it all started with me being honest. Um, and mm-hmm. another point, so <laughs> I, I, I did the free trial of BET Plus. So I've been watching a lot of Tyler Perry plays. Mm. <laughs> um, but I, I think we forget how like good those plays actually were. So because, good. <laughs> right. He talks about like people and things being in your life for a season. Right. Yeah. Um, and some people are there just to, just so you can get that lesson. They're there just for a season. But oftentimes we hold on to something that was only meant for us for that moment, for us to grow and learn. And yes. even if it's hurting us, we still want to hold on to it. Um, so I think people should take that into account. What you said, like every everything and everyone isn't meant to be in your life for a lifetime. Right, they Snaps. they're there to they're there to be for a season. So if y'all ain't been watching Tyler Perry, y'all might want to go back. He dropped some gems. <laughs> yes, I'm so happy you said that because sometimes people will be asking me because I, I consider myself to be a very vulnerable, open book. You know, I share my life story because I think that it helps other people be visible and to learn and know that you're not the only one out here struggling. But a lot of the major life lessons that I was able to learn, bruh, I learned those from Tyler Perry. Forgiveness, when he was like, forgiveness hurts, like unforgiveness hurts you. They sleeping Mm -hmm. at night. You need to let that go because you're giving them the power over yourself. And I was like, man, you know, so definitely there's some gems in there. And I always like the plays better than the movies. Oh, the plays are so, so much better than the movies. Like, I don't even watch the movies. Like, I (laughs) legit almost kept BET Plus just for like. I want to watch this play again um, yeah. because it is it, it is and yeah forgiveness is for you right it isn't mm-hmm. it isn't for those people because yeah i remember i used to hold a grudge against my grandfather rest in peace um and i saw the grudge against him for shit that he did when i was a kid right and right. now i was like a grown man introducing him to people like yo this is my mom's dad and my mm. mom was like well, dog that's your grandfather i'm like nah he he treated us bad he treated you bad and yeah. she was like let that shit go like right l-i-g like, it like that was like 15 20 years ago like why are you holding on to this right and it was it was literally like watching tyler perry i was like yo i need to just move on forgive him understand that you know he was it was an illness that made him make those decisions right he was he was you know he was addicted to drugs it was an illness and i need mm-hmm. to let that go um so and that was another thing that i had to do practicing self-care was like just forgiving people and moving on um doesn't mean you forget uh, right, but right. you you do forgive and it's for you it's, it's healing that's definitely a thing of self-care it's healing so um mm-hmm. y'all whoever listening you got relationships go ahead and forgive that person and if it's something to salvage you know you can salvage or not yeah and there's a level of honesty in that conversation with yourself too that i'm holding on to this and this is how it has been impacting me Um, And understanding that I think honesty within context is so important because I think for the longest time, I thought that I was like free, that I was succeeding, you know, that I was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. But it was only that way because no one else in my family had done those things. You know, like I was the first to go to college, the first to become a doctorate. And so for me, I was like, I'm free, you know, like I made it out. But when I had to sit there and be honest with myself, I was like, I'm free in some context, but is this the type of freedom that I want? 
It's like, no, I want the freedom where I don't have to worry about what people are saying about me, thinking about me, like I'm just gonna be. And that looks very different <laughs> than, you know, yeah. a lot of the I mean, stuff that we do. It is. I mean, I think about just the accomplishments that I have had. Sometimes it wasn't the accomplishment because I really wanted it. It's mm-hmm. the fact that I was trying to prove somebody wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yo, like when I, you know, I got kicked out of my first master's. I ended up taking on more student debt to do to finish a master's just because people were like, ah, look at him. He didn't finish it. Right. And I'm like, actually, yeah. I didn't even need to do that. <laughs> now yeah. I'm in debt because I was trying to prove y'all wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? I heard something recently. I was listening to a podcast and they were saying, like, if you have something to prove to somebody, are you still trying to prove somebody wrong? You're a prisoner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, that's hella true, though. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I used to I used to say this one thing until I think a, pot, a dude I listened to, Bomani Jones, mentioned it. I used to tell everybody about this uh, teacher in the fifth grade or no, sixth grade who told me, like, you know, you're gonna, you're not gonna make it to 21. You're gonna die. You're gonna be this. And I held on to that. Mm-hmm. Like when mm-hmm. I graduated, that would be my story. Like, yeah, I used to always mention this. How everything I was doing was to prove that person wrong. And he was like, yeah. that person probably never even thought of you again after saying that statement. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you've held that on for 10, 15 years, and they have no clue. They don't care. All right, Doctor Yu. Before we, before we wrap up here. Um, Tell the people what you got going on. I know you once again, you living it up on Hawaii. I'm jealous. But uh, mm-hmm. what's what's next for what's next for you? Yeah. So I recently gave myself permission to stay in Hawaii. When I came in October, the plan was to come for three months, go back home, which I did. And I went back to California for January. And I was like, bro, I want to go back. And again, coming back, it was like, I'm gonna go for two months. And when I got here, I realized like, this is where I wanna be. And again, being honest with myself, I was like, okay, why am I not allowing myself to be here? And it was simply because I hadn't given myself permission to, because like, for all the reasons, I have a son, you know, what is this gonna look like? Co-parenting across the sea. Um, But I was like, trust that everything is gonna work out the way that it's gonna work out. And I quit my full-time job. I was working as a, um, a researcher and again it was one of those things which i would say i lost my dad last year and when he passed again there was this other level that of self-care that i kind of stepped into because i realized how short life is he was just about to turn 60 last year and that's so young and a lot of the elders in my family are gone before they're 60. so when i talk about movement in my body i'm really out here trying to save myself right But what that reminded me of is life is short and I shouldn't be doing things that don't bring me joy every day. And while I really love the people that I work with, they were great, I did not enjoy the job. And I felt like every day I had to go to work, a little piece of me was dying. And part of why I was there was for the money because I was making the most money I've made in my adult life. But I never wanted to be those people that were motivated by money, you know, and I don't think that there's a price for my um, well-being. So I gave them my notice and I, again, I teach still, I have an adjunct position, so I have a small amount of stable income, but it was like, okay, I have to save myself and I have to do it in a way that's gonna bring me joy. So what it looks like for me now, um, I'm still getting used to, you know, because This journey of healing and self-care, I've really embarked on a lot of different um, methods of healing for myself, you know, but now that I have learned these skills, I want to help other people get free and I want to help other people feel healed within themselves, particularly, you know, black, indigenous people of color, like the queer community. There's so much power in being able to receive services from someone that looks like you, you know, Um, where you don't have to worry about if they're judging you or if they understand your background or your play or whatever it may be. So my next steps moving forward, I'm working on launching a business. It's going to be focused on healing, like holistic healing and wellness. So um, I'm a Reiki master, so I'm an energy healer in that regard. I also am planning to start teaching yoga. 
I think that yoga is so powerful, not just for your physical body, but like I said, that mental freedom, that mental concentration and controlling our mind, because that's the most, if our mind is wavering all the time, you know, our life is not going to be in order. Um, So making that connection. Um, And my company is going to be called Starshine and Clay. And this is really really powerful for me because I also am a poet so I love reading poetry um, writing poetry and there was this poem that always resonated with me in my life and it's by Lucille Clifton and I'm gonna try to recite it from memory but she says come celebrate with me this life I have shaped into I had no bo- I had no model born in Babylon both non-white and woman What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding my other hand tightly. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. And to me, that just really brings to life everything meaningful because I have also been just finding my way in this world, finding the healing that I need to become a better self. And now that I have the skills and the tools to do that, I have to go back and I have to help others. I have to help liberate some other people. Um, So that's what I'm focusing on right now in my life is using what I have and offering that as a service so that we can all be free, which is really inspiring to me. and there's so many people before us who have already done that. We're coming off a Harriet Tubman day. Like, shout out to Harriet Tubman. If I could be even an ounce of what she was, that's enough, you know? <laughs> so I'm really motivated by people who came before me and trying to keep those legacies alive, those legacies of love and of light. That's dope. Yeah, and, you know, I do everything for our ancestors, like, so much they sacrificed and gave I think that's why mm. I hate so much the, uh, the those shirts and people when people are like I'm not my ancestors I'm like yeah right. no shit like you couldn't put up with an <laughs> iota of what they put up with uh, how dare you mm-hmm. disrespect them in that in that manner how dare you right like y'all are crazy out here nah that's that's dope um, and when when you get your you know your company launched you can definitely come back talk about um holistic healing because i think that's something that um the general public really don't talk too much about or even know about um Mm -hmm. so i think that's i think that's really dope um where can the folks find you so i think i'm most active on my instagram page i have not created one for starshine and clay yet but it is up and coming you know i just want to make sure all the things are where they're supposed to be before i make it public So I'm working on stuff behind the scenes right now, but my Instagram, my personal one is at energy So unique without the U. (laughs) Energy follow me, stay tuned for more information. But if I could leave, you know, with some, something else, it's really heavy um, in my life right now. You know, I have a son and I'm always trying to teach him the things that I feel are going to serve him best in this life. And I can tell him things all day long, but what he's actually going to learn from is what he sees me do, right? And right now, I'm trying my best to be free. And I think that that is the best way I could teach him to be free is by myself being free. And while it's going to look different than how other people look free or try to find their freedom, at least he knows that, look, this is my mommy trying to make and create space for herself in the world so that she can ultimately make and create space for other people so i would i would hope that we're all just out here trying to lead by example i know it sounds cliche but that whole quote you have to be the change that you wish to see in the world it's hella accurate that's why it's lasted so long (laughs) (laughs) right it is that's definitely and i'm not gonna add anything to that um i hope people take it in soak it in um because that's real real talk um, and once again, thank you for, you know, spending some time with me, um, taking the time away from the beach and the sun and all the great things that's going on in Hawaii right now. Oh, yeah, now. it's going to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, you know, we'll keep in touch and, you know, I'll love to have you back. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.